Hey, I'm Kelly Hausman. I'm a licensed therapist and a mom, and I'm trying to figure out this whole life thing right alongside you. I'm taking my unique approach to therapy, where we laugh a lot, we cry a lot, we talk about anything and everything, right from my couch to your car, or wherever you might be listening from. Hey, no appointment or copay is required. We're gonna have some experts in their fields giving us advice about how they got to where they are, the lessons they've learned along the way, and things that we can all add to our lives to make it more enriched. My goal is to help you to get advice, to be inspired, and get a much needed break from reality. So take a seat, your session is about to begin. Welcome to this week's episode of Kelly's Reality. This week, I have an exciting guest for you guys. She's a PhD, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, and she is a neuroscientist, which I promise we're going to figure out what the heck that actually means. And she's the author of a really cool new book called Biohack Your Brain. So Dr. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to dive into the mental side of this episode with you. Kelly, thank you so much for having me as a guest on your podcast. Truly, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. And we were just chatting a little bit. She's in California. I am in Detroit. And hopefully next time we will do this episode live from California because it's a very snowy day today for me. I would love that. Um, Now, what I love about the whole field of neuroscience, I am actually married to a neurosurgeon. So, Okay. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, <laughs> so between him and I, we often joke that we both work on the brain, just different parts of it physically and mentally. So I think a lot of people see neuroscience and they are kind of confused about what it is. They, they will maybe ask, oh, are you a brain surgeon? Are you a psychologist? So can you explain what a neuroscientist does? Yes, absolutely. Well, So I've been in this field for 20 years. The first 10 years I worked in an academic setting and I studied the brain at the cellular level. So what that means is I would dissect the brains of rats and mice. Um, I would help, you know, dissect it, grow the neurons out on a dish and then try to understand how those neurons function. So I actually worked studying um, the young onset form of Parkinson's disease. I studied a gene that was mutated in this disease. So I could take genetic constructs, um, transfect them into living neurons. That means that's how it gets into the cell and then figure out why those neurons die. Mm. Again, this is work that you do, very um, meticulous, detailed work that you do in a laboratory setting. Then Um, I moved over into the clinical setting and ran a clinical neuroimaging department for a psychiatrist where we did what we call translational research or translational neuroscience. So um, figuring out what happens in the brain of people who have psychiatric issues. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah. And I know it's, it's somewhere in the middle of kind of, I think the three of us, we're all, all into the brain. And what I love too, is that you are dedicating your career to basically taking care of the health of the brain. You know, we work out, we try to take care of our muscles, our lungs, our heart. Uh, It's so important. And we're just realizing now that the health of our brain and how we are indeed able to make changes that improve that. Um, And you all often say it's never too late to start taking care of that. So I love that you've dedicated your career to helping people. And, and when you say taking care of your brain, what are you trying to get people? Um, is it is it a longer 
lifespan? Is it to reduce potential Alzheimer's? What is your ultimate goal? Okay, all of the above. Uh, so first of all, I just did a podcast with another doctor who is in internal medicine, and she mm -hmm. said, we always think about the body from the neck down. Mm -hmm. Don't think as much about the brain. Now, here we are during COVID where people are struggling with brain fog and psychiatric issues. And so mm -hmm. all of a sudden, the brain is a hot topic. Uh, why I wrote this book and what my goal is to help people understand is um, the brain, the changes that happen in the brain when we're in our 40s, 50s, 60s are what lead to the degenerative diseases that we're having in our 60s, 70s, and 80s. So mm -hmm. people need to understand that Alzheimer's starts in the brain 20 years before you have a symptom. And again, when you're young, you're in your 40s, you're not really thinking right. about it. You know, by the time you reach us in the clinical setting and you have a cognitive symptom, now the diet and lifestyle changes that we want you to implement, it's just a lot more difficult to slow down and reverse brain aging. Mm -hmm. And having run a clinical neuroimaging department and having seen thousands of brain scans, much like your husband, yeah. um, I know a lot of people have work that they could be doing to improve blood flow to the brain, to stabilize electrical activity, to help grow brain volume. So just imagine if we started doing this in our 20s, mm -hmm. not when we're 65 or 70 and we get a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment, mm -hmm. um, because we can see on scans um, you know, we have patients that come in and see deficits in the parietal lobes. Mm -hmm. We know if they don't make any changes to their diet and lifestyle, um, that they will probably have a higher likelihood of getting Alzheimer's. So I'm, a, I'm just, I'm a cheerleader for the brain. Mm -hmm. I feel like more of us need to be doing that. I know with the work that you do, it's, it's the same, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I love to, you give people hope because a lot of times, you know, we don't think about our, our health until we're having problems, until we're sick, until we get a diagnosis. So I love the fact of the hope that, hey, if you make some of these changes, you can live a longer, healthier, um, brain, brain-filled life, if that even makes sense. Um, I love the hope that you're instilling. It does. I mean, people don't understand the small changes that they make in their diet and lifestyle. And one beautiful illustration of this is, and I'm sure you probably talked about this on your podcast, is eating berries. So berries is one of the number one brain health foods. It protects the neurons of your brain from dying. And Harvard did this amazing longitudinal study over the course of 20 years it just looked at the dietary habits of older individuals and found that those who had strawberries or blueberries twice a week mm -hmm. slowed brain aging by two and a half years. So it, it, literally it's those simple dietary modifications or adding fish oil, one to two grams of a fish oil, having two servings of fish each week, but practicing these things consistently over time that's what slows down brain aging. And that's really what we want to do. Or that's my goal. How do we help instill these small habits that people practice consistently that, you know, lead to a healthier, happier brain? Right. And, and what I really enjoy about them too, you're not asking people to drastically overhaul something, you know, certainly eating two servings of berries a week is, is doable. Adding some fish oil, whether it's a supplement or, or eating the fish itself, this is all doable. So, and I'm sure in your book, you give more, um, and we'll get to the book too, for sure. Um, in a little bit, but 
if people want to hear more about that, is your book the place to go to find more hacks? The book is loaded with hacks. The book is, the hacks are things that I used to teach in the clinical setting. So I Mm -hmm. ran what we like to call brain-directed weight loss groups. So people were there hoping to lose weight, but we did it with a focus on getting brain fit and brain healthy. And so I've taught thousands of people how to take care of their brain health. The beautiful side effect was weight loss. Uh-huh. But their brains look beautiful as well. And we have the clinical neuroimaging to prove it. And I think that's what's so different about the book and why I'm so excited is that you can measure what's going on in your brain. You can do a brain scan. Most people won't. But if you follow the things that I recommend in six months time, a year's time, if you did have your brain function looked at, mm-hmm. it would improve. And that's, to me, changing the physiological function of your brain just by instilling these new habits is it's extraordinary amazing and again such a hopeful thing too this is stuff you can easily change um and speaking of changing 2020 certainly taught us and and now the impact on on mental health that it's had i know as a therapist my practice has never been busier people are struggling and a lot of people are starting to lose hope. And what I wanted to talk to you about is, is it possible to reset our brains to kind of cope with a lot of the loss and the trauma that so the entire world has experienced this year? And, and if so, do you have any tips on how we can, you know, realistically do that? Such a good question. Having worked in a psychiatric setting, you know, this is something that I'm so accustomed to seeing And we know when we're going through these kind of traumas, it changes the physiological function of the brain. We're actually wiring networks that uh, increase anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder that has a neurobiological signal in the brain. So yes, there are dietary and lifestyle modifications that we can do. And then we have these great tools like neurofeedback, which can literally help to stabilize some of those circuits. But you know, from a very simple perspective, people don't even understand something as simple as taking a fish oil can help support your mood. Mm. Vitamin D, those levels are low in people with depression. So we can use nutritional supplements. We can use food. We can use practices such as meditation to help quiet our minds, right? We can come see you for some EMDR therapy. So there's so many tools that we have available for people. But I think right now during COVID, um, because inflammation is really what's triggering a lot of the psychiatric issues that we're seeing, you know, people who have COVID are having the cytokine storm and the inflammatory response. So one of the great things that people can do is focus on an anti-inflammatory eating strategy, right? What is that? It's literally two servings of fruits per day, three vegetables, limiting your sugar, having more anti-inflammatory spices like curcumin or your fish oils or you know your nuts and seeds. So sometimes it's just rethinking about the choices that we're making each day, getting more sleep. Yep. Right? You know, getting to bed in our household, believe it or not, we're going to bed at eight o'clock at night. Oh wow, I would love that. I was leaving the office at eight o'clock. Yeah. At- Uh huh. So, Mm -hmm. you know, people underestimate the value of sleep. Mm -hmm. This is the time when we work through our emotions through, you know, in that deep REM sleep. So making sure you get your sleep, making sure you call Kelly to, you know, work on 
your anxiety, your depression, talk to people, actually having, you know, being socially isolated right now during the coronavirus. It's fascinating. I was actually working on a blog talking about what social isolation does to the brain. And we're learning more and more about this now as neuroscientists. The center, the region of the brain, the dopaminergic um, midbrain, right where our pleasure centers are, um, that region of the brain is impacted when we are socially isolated. And that is the same region of the brain that is impacted when we uh, have cravings for food. So imagine we are craving social interactions in a similar way that we are craving the foods that we eat. So, you know, I think we also have to appreciate the fact that it's really important now to remember to stay socially connected, to reach out to people if we can't, to get outdoors. I know you're outdoors, it's snowy. Yep. Get out, take walks, right? You know, keep moving. Um, it's it's really getting back to the basics. Mm -hmm. And again, you've dedicated, you said, over 20 years of your life and your career to studying these things. And I always love to know, as the expert in, in neuroscience and, and taking care of your brain, what are some things that you do behind the scenes to keep your own physical and especially mental health strong? Well, one of the number one things I do every day is hydrate. Uh, mm -hmm people forget how important it is to properly hydrate. So every morning, you know, I start out with a glass of fresh, I actually have a hyper oxygenated water that I drink out of glass bottles. I do a fresh green juice as well. Again, we've slept throughout the night, the body's dehydrated. So hydrate when you wake up. Um, I always get out and take, you know, a run, power walk. You've got to get your exercise in daily. Every morning I either do a meditation. So I was trained in uh, Kirtan Kriya Yoga 20 years ago by monks at a meditation center. That's literally 10 minutes away from where I live. I never really understood what meditation did to the brain way back then. I was just really relaxed and it helped with focus. It helped me to get through graduate school. And then now as a neuroscientist, you know, we've studied meditation in the clinical setting mm -hmm. and we show getting into that meditative practice can calm the frontal lobe. So it can quiet the thoughts that happen in your brain mm -hmm. and it can grow brain volume in the hippocampus and make you more creative. So I try to get a meditative practice in. And if I can't, mm -hmm. I actually listen to, um, I have some CDs that uh, from Hemisync, or there's one called The Moses Code by James Twyman, the sounds can put your brain into what we call the alpha state, which is relaxed and focused. Because mm -hmm. I know sometimes people don't have their five to 10 minutes to sit and center, or they just don't have the discipline to do it. So having the sound therapy available helps. And then I love, um, you know, I have a diffuser in my house. I learned working in the psychiatric setting, the importance of essential oils, things like bergamot um, and lavender, things to help the environment around me uh, have sort of a calmer feel. So those scents work on our brain, you know, work on the limbic centers of our brain. So if I have the scent of bergamot, it's actually a, a orange scent and it's very uplifting. So I have that going in my house. Nice. Little things, right? Just right. little things that you can do. I always take my supplements every day. I've got my 
multivitamins and my omega-3 fatty acids and my vitamin B, vitamin C, my zinc, especially during COVID. Mm -hmm. Just you start the day fortifying your system and then you're ready to go. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's a, truly a holistic approach for you. And, and nothing you, you had just mentioned is overwhelming. It's very doable, you know, and it's, it's, it's quick, you know, it's, it's supplements, it's a 10 minute meditation. It's, it's a, a brisk walk outside and all things that just kind of mindfulness too, is kind of what comes up as I, as I hear you, like you're really in the moment, you're outside in nature, you're listening to some sounds. So it sounds like that's pretty prevalent in your life as mindfulness as well. Yeah, you know what's interesting about nature is research studies show that it quiets the area of the brain that's involved in rumination, so ruminating thoughts. Um, from our research, we know that's excess activity in the anterior cingulate gyrus. It's in the front part of the brain, so when it's working really hard, we tend to hold on to thoughts. But when we're out in that natural setting, even if we're out shoveling snow. <laughs> You're still outdoors in nature. You're getting the natural light from the sun. You have the trees. Um, so it's all really helpful in keeping the nervous system quiet and balanced. Mm-hmm. And that's really what's most important. Again, working in the psychiatric setting, you know, we can have you come in and we've got incredible technologies available to work on the brain. We've got transcranial magnetic stimulation neurofeedback, we've got hyperbaric oxygen chambers, you know, we have technologies, but what if we told you we can empower you to take better care of yourself through your diet and your lifestyle and your daily habits that are going to have this really powerful impact on the way your brain is functioning. So everyone that we work with, and they were the clinic I worked at studied um, complex psychiatric cases. And then we use clinical neuroimaging to help target and treat these disorders. Mm-hmm. But imagine everybody that we work with had to, you know, do these upgrades with diet and lifestyle. And the nutritional supplements are so important because wouldn't you rather do that than be on a medication that might have side effects? Yep. Yep. And that's what I like too. It's about the prevention because again, I think so many people, you know, you don't notice your lungs until you have trouble breathing or the, the prevention is true. What is, there's a quote, an ounce of prevention. And you're right. It's better to do this now while we're healthy and not really thinking about it than, oh gosh, you know, like you said, you have to be on medications or at that point it's, yeah, it's the prevention. It's it's taking care of our bodies. We only get one. We got one shot at this. Let's yes. let's respect our bodies. We got, we got one shot at it. And the fact that we can slow down and reverse brain aging again. We ran a um, because I ran a clinical neuroimaging department. One of the things that I had to do was create what we call a normative database. So we went out and had patients come in who were healthy with no psychiatric symptoms, no history of family history of uh, neurological issues, right? No head injuries, just a a healthy individual. And we would scan their brains and still see deficits in blood flow and critical regions to the brain. And they didn't know it. So a lot of people are walking around with some of these perfusion deficits and things that are going on because I've seen it over the course of a decade. I realized these are things that people need to know and to think, oh my gosh, I can just do a few of these small upgrades. Like we said, taking a fish oil, one to two grams of omega-3 fatty acids can do wonders at maintaining brain volume over time. And if you 
you know, if you're curious, where do I start? How much do I take? You can get your omega-3 fatty acid levels measured. Mm. I, I encourage people. I mean, I'm a scientist. Go talk to your doctor, get your lab work done, you know, optimize all of your labs, including your omega-3s, you know, look at the diets that might work for you. I used to teach in our clinical setting, the Mediterranean diet, right? It's got some of the best evidence to slow down and reverse uh, neurological issues. Uh, the Mediterranean mind diet, right? So that's a low sodium diet combined with Mediterranean. This, this can help keep you healthy and stave off any degenerative issues. My father had Parkinson's, so it's personal for me as well. You know, I've, I've seen enough people suffer and, you know, if we can do something now when we're healthy, even if you do have a degenerative issue, that the thing about what I've seen in the clinical setting, and I know your husband knows this as well, being a neurosurgeon, you can still slow down uh, the brain aging process, even if you have dementias and cognitive impairment. And I think that's really the take home message. Yeah. Yeah. It's never too late never. to support or to keep going and, and to start over. So I love that. It's it's really a story of hope and and just again respecting our bodies, preventing things, and even if something is going on, there's always things we can do to help help the brain, help our health, and and keep going with that. Um, now, something that I ask everyone that comes on here: What is the best life advice that you've ever been given, or kind of a mantra that you personally live by that you would like to share? Oh, I like that. That's a good question. Um, you know. I it's funny. I went to Boston College as an undergrad and our motto there was ever to excel. Mm -hmm. And the great uh, Greek philosopher Aristotle had this quote and it was about um, excellence is achieved through practicing small habits daily, like repeating the habits that you do to strive to attain excellence. Mm -hmm. So I would just encourage people you know, to think about the goals that they want to achieve in life, repeat really good habits that can help you to achieve those goals. So if it's being brain healthy, you know, learn the thing, dive into the literature and learn the things that could be really helpful to you to achieve your brain health or your educational goals or to lower your stress levels. So I would say that's probably what I would recommend. Awesome. And now to wrap up, I would love to talk a little bit about your book. Tell us, um, why should why should we pick up your book? What can we learn from it? So I will tell you the reason why I wrote the book was back in 2009, my colleagues and I ran a, at the time, which was the world's largest study in living professional football players, looking at what happened to the brain uh, of these athletes who play collision-based sports. Mm -hmm. And what we found, so we did a clinical trial in 100 NFL players. Mm -hmm. After the first 15, when we realized how significant the damage was to the brain, we decided to do a brain rehabilitation study. And what we found is within a six-month period of time, um, these players showed dramatic changes in brain function. So we were able to show, right, in these professional athletes, with traumatic brain injuries that you could restore, reverse, and rehabilitate brain function. And it could be easy. Um, so again, I was teaching a group where every week I would train these professional athletes on how to eat and live a brain healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. That's 
why the book was written. The, the group was so successful, I ended up teaching it in our clinical setting to our psychiatric patients who had anxiety, depression, bipolar issues, you name it. And you know that led to working with thousands of people and helping them to get brain healthy. So the book is really what I call a user's guide to great brain health. Mm-hmm. And I would wanted the subtitle to be everything I wish I knew in my 20s. Yeah. <laughs> because it is the information is applicable. Um, every chapter I give an NFL story and I give a client story. So there's stories in there about uh, people who've lost over a hundred pounds. So there's some weight loss stories, yeah. stories of people I've worked with that have degenerative mm-hmm. issues that are still thriving. And you know, I just wanted it to be a guide, a really comprehensive but accessible guide for anybody who really wants to care about their brain health. It's written in a way that's easy to understand. It's fun. It's not heady and you know too much heavy neuroscience. It's really just much more of an accessible read. Wonderful. Well, I'm definitely going to check it out. And then I'm sure my husband will be interested in it too, especially the uh, the studies on the NFL players. I think that's fascinating. So yeah, you guys check it out, pick it up. Where can people find the book? They can find it at Barnes and Nobles, Amazon.com, or I hope you go to your local bookstore and support your local bookstore because they need it now more than ever, but it is everywhere that books are sold. And it really is such a pleasure to be here with you, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your podcast. Of course. Thanks for joining me. And if people want to find you, are you on social media? I I am on social media. I am on Instagram at Kay Willemeyer and Twitter at Dr. Willemeyer. And you can also reach me on my website at drwillemeyer.com. Perfect. Well, you guys check her out, read the book. It's never too late to get started with this. And again, we we owe it to respect our bodies to make some small changes that our body's going to give us back a hundredfold. So I'm excited to to dive into your book and hopefully everyone else will. And thank you so much for, for joining me today. And please send some of the California sunshine and warmth this way, please. You get it. More sun for Kelly. Absolutely. Uh, Hope to see you when you come to California. Yes, I'm, I'm going to book a plane trip as soon as I can. So Wonderful. thank you again for joining me. Yay. Thanks, Kelly. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for joining me on this latest episode of Kelly's Reality. If you can't wait until our next session, you can find more information, articles, and advice on my blog at kellysreality.com. I'm also located on social media at the same handles. Now get off my couch, go home, and I'll see you at the next appointment. Mm -hmm.